0: Absolutely apoplectic over one priest who was standing on the privacy of his own altar preaching the truth of Jesus Christ about the degeneracy that we see all around us in Irish society. So tonight I'm really delighted to be joined by Father Sean Sheehy. Sean, how are you doing?
1: Actually, I'm doing quite well. Uh, d- d- despite despite all the vituperation, you know. So uh, I say, look, the truth kind of stands on its own. And I say, look, you're, you're not really blasting me. You know, you're really blasting the word of God because all I did was actually put it out there, you know, as I found it in the scriptures for the particular Sunday, which, which, I, which actually I would be held accountable for myself if I don't do that. And, and so it's like St. Paul said, you know, I was saying to Jeremiah, I mean, Jeremiah in the Old Testament, he said, uh, I would rather not to, but I can not preach it, he says, because if I don't, he says, there's a fire that burns inside of me, you know, until such time as I do. And I guess the other thing that, that motivates me as well and has over the years is that, you know, when we read in the Old Testament that, you know, God said, if my word goes out, it will never come back empty. So if it doesn't go out, it can't be productive. And so therefore, then, you know, despite my limitations, if I do my best to put it out there, then I know that it will be productive in ways that I will probably, you know, never see um, uh, during during my lifetime. But it will be productive. And of course, and that's the, the basis, you know, for my faith that God is always faithful to his promises. So if he said his word will be productive, then guaranteed it will be productive.
0: I think a lot of people, Father, are asking, um, do you have any form in this regard? And how is it that only now you've come to the attention of Joe Duffy, who like, I don't know, is it the vaccine or the boosters or whatever? But I mean, he was close to having a stroke when you were, um, you know, very civilly trying to make your point. And I have never I did force myself today to listen to most of it. I mean, he's an obnoxious person at the best of times. God forgive me on a Sunday, but it's true. And he's a public servant, in inverted commas, paid very, very generously out of the public purse. So we have the right to hold him to account. But I've never known him to be so unhinged as he was when he was uh, blasting you. I think you get- have you come to their attention
1: before? I have no idea. And actually, I was totally overwhelmed, you know, because, I mean, it was a, a Sunday. I mean, I've uh, preached actually in in, in in many of the churches around Kerry, just covering for priests, you know. And I always uh, base my homily on the scriptures of the day. So the scriptures of the day, you know, spoke about like from the Book of Wisdom, you know, that God is definitely unbounded in love. He's full of mercy and so on. But he prods the sinners and he keeps after them until they repent and put their trust in him. And then we have the great story of Jesus encountering Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, who was identified as a public sinner, despised actually by his fellow Jews because he was a tax collector and he, he took advantage of them uh, taking money that didn't really belong to him, but he took advantage of his position. And so here is Jesus, you know, and he sees Zacchaeus and a and He says, "Come down, Zacchaeus. I mean to stay at your house this day." And Zacchaeus is to say, "Okay, fine." But then in his encounter with Jesus, Zacchaeus repents, and he makes restitution. And then Jesus said, "This day," he said, "salvation has come to your house." And so then I focus on salvation. You know what is it? You know it's the delivery or the freedom, you know, from sin. That ultimately, if not repented and forgiven, will lead to eternal suffering and death, lead to hell. Then I asked the question, what exactly is sin? And I simply said, look, is anything against the law of God, against any word, act or deed, against the law of God? And we find the law of God in the Ten Commandments, and Jesus summarized them in two, the law of love. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and love your neighbors yourself. And then I said, look, who among us, including myself, you know, loves God with all our heart. I said, we don't, nor do we fill our minds with God's teaching holy, nor do we u- use all our gifts uh, to serve him. And I said, that's why we are sinners, because to the degree that we don't love God fully, we are actually committing sin. So I said, then, does that mean then that as sinners, we have no joy, we have no peace? I said, no, it doesn't mean that, because we turn to Jesus Christ, I said, who who gives us peace and joy, because he brings us god tender mercy by giving us the grace to repent and the opportunity to seek forgiveness and in that action of seeking forgiveness god is actually saving us and he was said to the congregation this very moment i said god is saving you and me from our venial sins because the mass actually provides forgiveness for the for venial sins and i said he's given us reconciliation for mortal sins and grievous sins and i said this is god's mercy it's an expression of his love but how can we benefit from his love from his mercy if we don't repent if we don't seek his forgiveness because if we don't repent we don't seek his forgiveness then we don't let him into our lives with the joy that that entry into our life brings us as it was in the life of zacchaeus so So my basic thrust was then that sin is something sadly that today is relatively is not spoken of very much and i said also the fact is that it's it's embedded in the culture and it's enshrined in the legislation giving people the permission to abort their children i said in getting involved or entering into same-sex marriages i said promoting transgenderism and i said also the HSC handing out condoms to to young people in the streets. I said that's sin. That's mortal sin. I said because it's destroying people. And I said sadly, people don't seem to realize this is a sin. And I said if you don't identify something as a sin, there's a, there's no incentive to repent. And if you if there's no incentive to repent, there certainly won't be anyone seeking for forgiveness. So my whole thought, and it was I didn't even mention the word. Uh, I, did, I mean, I didn't emphasize the whole area of homosexuality. I just said, this is what's enshrined in the legislation. And I was emphasizing the importance of identifying what is sinful, seeking, I mean, repenting and seeking forgiveness so that people would enjoy the love and mercy of God. Because I said, that's why Jesus came. He said it himself. I have come to call sinners. That was, that was the gist, actually, of what I was saying.
0: But the powers that shouldn't be, who suddenly seem to care an awful lot about Catholicism, even though they've been promoting all sorts of very strange and alien religions into Ireland, and of course secularism being the the lead one. But they're they're suddenly very interested in the Catholic Church, and they're trying to reinterpret it as they've done for many years, as a sort of live and let live, tolerant faith where anything goes. And Jesus was a very kind sort of hippie and uh, would accept anything. And this lesbian woman who was on with Joe Duffy said that um, I was created in the image of Jesus. You're you're coming
1: across brokenly.
0: Oh, my apologies. Um, She said that she was created in in the image of Jesus. Can you hear me? Can you hear me?
1: Yeah, it's kind of there's something interfering yeah. with your voice.
0: Okay, my apologies. I, I hope that's okay on that's, the screen. That's streaming. okay now. I can hear you clearly good, now. Good. So, but they are all of a sudden very interested in Catholicism when they've been attacking it relentlessly for decades, changing the entire culture of our country, and bringing about an absolute dearth of morality. Can I hear you? Can't hear me in the youth, in the young people. But are you surprised that they are suddenly so interested in Catholicism, Father?
1: I can't, I can't really hear you clearly.
0: Are you surprised that the... Oh, the I am totally, totally, yeah.
1: totally surprised. I mean, I, I said, good gracious me, you know, um, I said... I, I'm a priest. I'm preaching the gospel and the catechism, supposedly to Catholics in a Catholic church. And I said, "How come this has taken off like it has?" So I figured that what I said must have touched uh, a nerve in in people who w- were very sensitive to what I was saying. But obviously, didn't want to hear it. And now that it's said, they tried to either undermine uh, what was said, or they tried to uh, uh, rid it of any authority that it might have. Because some people said, oh, you know, you're talking about the Bible, but the Bible is only written by men. You know, you're talking about the catechism, but the catechism, you know, has changed over the years. So that was the that was the response. And I said, I thought to myself, why are you so suddenly interested in what a priest says uh, in his homily at mass? I still don't don't understand it myself, really.
0: And father, they're so interested that that this is a government party. Turned up and surrounded Listowel Church today. Now, you're obviously banned from saying Mass now by the bishops, so you weren't there. You say Mass in your own home now, which is your right entitlement. But this is how much they feel threatened that they had to surround with their LGBT sodomy flags this holy church of Listowel. What's wrong with them?
1: That's right. Well, you know, I've always believed that. If you truly believe in something and you have a good argument for it there's no need to defend it because if it's the truth it stands on its own regardless of who dis- who disbelieves it or who rejects it and ultimately the truth will win out if you say you believe something and you don't it's based on on false assumptions then that requires defensiveness and that requires uh, drastic actions to shut out or shut down whatever it is that's questioning those false assumptions. And maybe that's the reason, you know, because I, I think like when you look at what's happening in the culture, the law of God is rejected. The law of nature is rejected. And, the, and also conscience is rejected as well because we read in the scripture that God has written the law of God, his law in the heart of of every man, woman, and child. So actually, it's natural for every man, woman, and child to believe in God and to see the fullness of the truth that he has revealed. So if the if the truth that he has revealed then has been rejected, that means God is rejected, that means the natural law is rejected. And what does that leave us with? It leaves with in a chaotic condition where we have no direction now. So where We we are tempted now to actually operate on the basis of a God complex, thinking we're God. So it's my truth. It's my my morality. It's my body. It's my this. It's my that. And that leads again to isolation. It leads to, to disconnectedness. It certainly totally undermines genuine community because genuine community is based actually on justice. And justice means doing right with God doing right with our neighbor, and doing right with ourselves. And if there is no justice, then guaranteed there is no peace. Because Pope Paul VI, St. Paul VI said that the dove of peace only comes to rest on the tree of justice. That's why there's no there's no peace, actually. Yesterday, for example, I was leading a, a men's rosary in the square in Tralee. And I, I was met by some people who who work in the, in the education system. And they said they're so sick and tired of a particular ideology being imposed on them. And they're not afraid to say something, because if they do, they may lose their jobs. Now that's, that to me is a horrible situation to be in, especially in a country where its leaders uh, boast about the fact that the, the, the society is so tolerant. So the whole thing to me smacks of evil. And the church then has an obligation. The leadership has an obligation then to identify that evil and to try to redeem it if it's redeemable or condemn it if it's not redeemable. Ultimately, to call people to repentance and forgiveness, to follow the law of God, which is essential for all human beings in order for them to enhance their humanity and to live life fully and joyfully.
0: Well, I I think, yes, absolutely evil, but the fear that the government is showing at this moment really suggests that there's a lot more going on beneath the surface than we, traditional Catholics may be aware of. And You know, I think probably what the last few years has done is to bring people closer to God in many ways and back to their Catholic faith. And they're they're trying to, you know, work out exactly what it means because they're getting so much misdirection and confusion from the altar. And when they hear a strong voice like yours spelling it out, the truth of Jesus out then they're very much attracted to that because they have not seen any moral authority coming from the church. And this is what the media is terrified of, that your voice is is extremely appealing to sheep that are lost. And it's also the case, Father, that, you know, so many of these people, especially in the likes of RT. Your voice is is
1: breaking up again.
0: Okay, I'm not sure what that is, but RT and people within the media and within government and within the establishment, you know, their lives are full of sin. They've been involved in terrible sin and crimes in the last few years. And I think, you know, also for many Irish people who are in a state of sin, be they involved in homosexual relationships, adultery, divorce, abortion and they don't want to hear your message because it makes them feel, oh, you know, I, I, my life is, is a state is I am in a state of sin. So it's easier to attack you.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, I, but, but I think I was talking to somebody today who was, uh, talking to, uh, to a, a priest and, um uh, the priest was kind of bemoaning, you know, what I said. It wasn't so much that he disagreed with it, but his whole approach was, well, you know, people's life, people's life is hard enough, you know, besides saying things like that to them. And I thought to myself, yeah, people's lives are hard enough, but they're going to be harder if they don't have the grace of God. They're going to be much harder if they don't have God in their lives. Because then they have nothing to fall back on when things begin to topple down around them. And I mean, that's the great message of Christianity. Like we see in that little prayer footprints, you know, that in, in our darkest moments, the Lord is absolutely with us. And that's very important for us in order to have hope and to be able to get up and move on, especially when things fail, when tragedies hit us, when when we find out, for example... That we're diagnosed with some disease or other. That's where the message of God comes. And I mean, I've seen it myself time and time again. The joy that people have when they come to confession, you know, maybe after years carrying stuff with them. And now suddenly this is lifted off their shoulders and their hearts, and they leave, you know, uh, 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 I was going to say lightheaded, but lighthearted because now they're entering into a new phase of their life, having experienced God's love, God's tenderness. And I think that, you know, that these people uh, who are opposed, they talk about compassion. But to me, the greatest compassion is to say to somebody, Look, you're on the wrong road. You're you're doing the wrong thing. You're destroying yourself. You're destroying your soul. You know, I know how you can get help to overcome this, whether it be an addiction or whether it be, uh, you know, some sin that you're steeped in. I know how you can overcome that and how you can be free and not be a prisoner of those things. And when we hear that first, I mean, who among us likes to be confronted with our faults? We don't, but we need to. Because the two things that we cannot cope with, one is denial, the other is chronic uh, worry. Because neither one of these things, that one keeps us in the past all the time, the other keeps us um, uh, out of reality. And so denial is, is, is certainly uh, no help to us in terms of living our lives. And so Jesus came, as he said himself, you know, so that we might have life and have it to the fullest. But in order for us to seek him out, we need to know that the life we have is not as complete as it could be simply because we have darkened it through our sinfulness. Get, try to get rid of our sinfulness and suddenly life becomes bright again because we have hope. We know that God loves us because we've experienced it. I think the greatest love that, that a person can, can hear from anyone is to say, I forgive you. I forgive you from my heart. Because what that so you know, that the person who forgives you has faith in you and believes that you can do better than what you did. So to me, that's not only a spiritual boost, but a psychological one as well. Hence the need for all of us to be called to the reality that we are always in need of God's mercy. And I also said to the congregation, that our greatest sin oftentimes is not is not always what we do as much as what we don't do that we actually should do the other thing i said too is that a lot of people who have no sense of sin are sinning and they think they're doing fine because the culture approves of it and nobody says anything to them and i think there is there is actually i call it a deadly silence even within the institutional church which has, issues a young woman actually sent me an email and she identified herself she said i'm a young person she says i'm in my 20s and i want you to know that when i heard that when i heard i read your your homily she said it reminded me of the importance of going to confession and i thought wow so if that stimulated uh this in her head then it makes it all worth it
0: fantastic I know that so many priests, Father, I know a lot of priests and very few of them. I think you're
1: breaking up again.
0: Oh, dear. I think it's your signal down there. But just bear with me, OK, because I, I think my audience can hear. Can you hear me? There's some
1: interference there. I can the hear more- you, but there's some interference.
0: OK, well, I just um, try and, and complete what I'm going to say. But I know that a lot of priests would totally agree with what you said last week, but they would not have the courage to say it because they feel they would be thrown out of their presbytery. They would be shunned by their congregation and completely ostracized and maybe thrown out of the church by their bishop.
1: That's the fear.
0: But, Father, is it not their role to suffer that fate if it happens is it you know jesus reminds us so many times that you will be hated for speaking my name for speaking the logos the truth and difficult truths the truth hurts so why are our priests so cowardly even the ones that we consider to be, you know, on the right side in all of this and who know that homosexuality is a sin and that adultery is a sin and that uh, abortion and, get, you know, the whole lot of it <clears throat> is very sinful, but yet they will not touch it.
1: Well, I think you've said it yourself. I think that, um, that uh, I mean, one priest said to me, he said, now, does all this mean that if I say something at mass that offends someone, I will be censured for it. I, I mean, that's like you know yeah. the, 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 the scriptures tell, tell us you know don't muzzle the ox, and so the ox is being muzzled, and if the ox is muzzled and stays muzzled, it will eventually die. So if if the if the uh, the word of God is not promoted by the church, then the church will die and jesus will be betrayed because it's his church and he has actually given us a role everybody actually both clergy and lay a role and that role is to put his word out there the good news that salvation is possible that he offers the grace of repentance and that forgiveness can be a reality for everyone who chooses to to cooperate with that grace and repent If that, I mean, that to me is the church's primary contribution to the world to try to save it from its own sinfulness. And if if those with whom Jesus collaborates, namely the bishops and the priests, don't do that, then the people in the pews actually won't be catechized as to what they they should be bringing out to the marketplace as well. So everyone loses. And, you know, Pilate, you know, who said about Jesus, better he said that one man died than a whole nation perished. He really didn't know what he was saying because the man who was dying was going to make sure that the nation wouldn't perish. But I think, you know, somebody said one time that leadership is sticking your neck out and willing to have your head cut off. And I mean, that was the case with John the Baptist. And maybe the church today needs people, needs priests and bishops who are willing to stick their neck out and risk having their heads cut off by the atheistic media and by the woke and cancel culture. Because I think you can't mute the Holy Spirit. He's going to find a way somehow, some some way in order to get the word out. Because the Holy Spirit is unconquerable. And I believe that wholly. And I think while it certainly was not my intention when I was giving this homily, my intention was to explain the scriptures and what what God was saying to us through these these words. Certainly not all of this thing that transpired, but maybe as somebody said to me yesterday, maybe God is using that to get people talking about this and, and maybe to get them to evaluate themselves as well. So if only one person, comes to god as a result of this then i think you know it's worth it for me it's, it's worth whatever whatever rejection that i experience then i think to myself you know when, when i was growing up you know we had the old saying sticks and stones will break your bones but names will never hurt you so i said to you, yeah throw all the names you want so on and so forth you know it's not going to affect my faith in god it's not going to affect my beliefs. It's not going to affect my commitment to being true, to handing on the teaching of the church. Yeah, I'm a sinner like everybody else. I'm as much in need of God's grace as anybody. I often say to myself, you know, on the altar, you know, I probably may be the worst sinner here because of all these good people who come and who, who make sacrifices for their families and, and for the truth and so on. I'm as much in need of God's forgiveness as anybody else. But I know personally the joy of that forgiveness, you know, because I receive that forgiveness regularly in the sacrament of reconciliation. And that's what I want people to, to, to experience. But if they're obstinate and they say, no, I'm not going to change my ways. Then I say, look what Jesus says, you know, anyone who does not recognize me before my father, I would not recognize him uh, be, uh, when he dies. And what Jesus says, Jesus does. And what he promised will happen. I mean, to me, it's frightening, the whole idea of facing God. Because I know no matter what I do, I'm still not perfect enough for him. But he will perfect me out of his love and mercy if I open my heart to him. And that's what what the call should be. Open your heart to God. You know, don't cover up your sins. Don't try to make the nor- the abnormal normal. You know, don't try to pass laws to prevent people from following their consciences and doing what is right. Because doing that actually is being an instrument of Satan who wants to shut God out completely. But he doesn't have the power, but he uses people to do it through intimidation to shut the voice of the church down so there will be no uh, opposing voice to a culture that promotes immorality. And so that, that's my motivation.
0: Very you know, well
1: said. God, Go ahead.
0: Yeah, no, Father, you know, I mean the, 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 the government and its media lapdogs have portrayed the church in Ireland through the decades as being authoritarian and You know, ruling with an iron fist. That wasn't true. What they did suggest, and some priests maybe did get a bit carried away, some priests, some bishops did too, but they set a road out for us to follow and advised young women, for example, that getting pregnant outside wedlock would be a very bad idea and would ruin their lives. And You know, ensure that they would probably end up in poverty and all of the other things that they taught us for our own happiness in this world and the next. But now it is the government, whatever lies they've told about the Catholic Church in Ireland in the past, they now are the ones behaving like dictators to the point that they are picketing Catholic churches. This is how crazy These people are. I mean, I say every day we're being ruled by psychopaths and lunatics. This is the proof they want to imprison people like you and me for five years because of conversations like this. These people, we're living in an asylum. But Father, just on the subject of homosexuality, I know that you've had. Some gay people contact you to say thank you. They are no longer involved in that practice, which is evil and which is immoral and which goes against nature, not only God, but nature. And um they're very grateful to you. And I think it's great. You're, really- break, you're
1: breaking up. Jan. I can't hear okay. you. I can't hear you at all. You're breaking up.
0: I, w- I just want. Can you hear me, Father? I, do- I, think your signal is I can hear you easy. now. Yeah. Okay. So I know that the audience can hear, um, but father, as far as the whole issue of homosexuality is concerned, and I know you feel as strongly against it as you would about heterosexuality, heterosexual promiscuity and sex outside of marriage, divorce, etc., because all of those things generally make people unhappy in this life and the next. Can you hear me? Tell me about the people that have contacted you who are gay and who have thanked you for your stance.
2: So, uh,
1: yeah, you're kind of breaking up. Say that again, please.
0: I know you've been Over contacted. Question again. You've been contacted by people who are gay, who say they are gay, and they, they're very grateful to you for what you have said.
1: Yes. Yeah. And it's amazing the number of people actually who have called. And it's not just from this country, but it's from England, America, Australia. I mean, I'm absolutely shocked uh, who called to said that it's high time that something like this was spoken from the pulpit. You know, and I thought if 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 the whole notion of sin is not I mean, you, you don't you don't. You don't beat anybody over the head, you know, with, with a Bible. But if the reality of sin in terms of what it is and how it affects us, our relationships, our worldview, our viewpoints, our attitude towards ourselves, our attitude toward life, our attitude toward toward uh, the homeless, our attitude toward uh, violence, our attitude toward disrespect, and so on and so forth. Uh, because all, all the problems in those areas Uh, are underlined by sin basically and if we don't identify what sin is and not 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 to judge people but to judge actions Jesus himself said you know by by you will be judged in accord with your deeds so if we don't talk about the deeds of sin then people will do things not even realizing they are sin and ultimately though they will be held responsible for them Because it's not enough for a person to say, I didn't know. And especially in this day and age, because there's so much information put out there. You know, every person has a moral responsibility to seek the fullness of the truth. And every person would be held responsible if they did not seek the fullness of the truth. You know, I mean, ignorance is one thing, but culpable ignorance is a completely other thing. And I think that there's definitely culpable ignorance here today. Because Well, first of all, people say, well, you know, we're not really taught. I mean, how many people have said to me, you know, I, I, I got very little when I was in school, you know, and I haven't been given anything since then. And I have to say, too, that one of the one of the big differences between here and America was that at least in America, all kinds of materials were provided for people in the back of the church where they could pick things up, speaking to all issues that people might be interested in in terms of family life in terms of problems, difficulties and so on and so forth. But there's nothing that's made available here. And I think that's a real deprivation. Also, there should be an adult catechesis program in every parish for people who want to study their faith, deepen their understanding of it, but it's not there. So I don't know, I mean, I'm at a loss actually, as to where the leadership is in terms of their responsibility. I mean, a bishop, the bishop said, look, I'm the shepherd of the flock. I said, okay, fine. Then it's your obligation to seek out those that are lost and to nourish those that are here. St. Augustine there a few weeks ago in the breviary, he talked about bishops, and he said, you know, and he was, he was very critical. He said, there are too many bishops, he said, who are not feeding the sheep, but they're fleecing the sheep. And mm-hmm. I, I was thinking, you know, when when they read their brief read, they really reflect on that and say, am I fleecing the sheep or am I feeding the sheep? And we feed the sheep with the word, because if they're not fed with the word, then the sacrament is not really going to mean very much either, because it's in the sacrament that the word becomes visible. Just like, for example, the liturgy of the mass, you have the word first, and then you have the word becoming flesh in the, in the celebration of the Eucharist. So, if people are not filled with the Word of God, they can't know Him, as Saint Jerome said. Ignorance of the Scriptures is ignorance of Jesus, and I think that's what is so sad here and in the Western world today.
0: Well, Father, I I, I know people are gripped by what you're saying. You're getting a huge amount of support from um, the audience, and lots of thanks and lots of gratitude. And, you know, for your courage. And we're going to actually be joined very shortly by Dr. E. Michael Jones, who has been watching this from across the pond, because, of course, there has been a lot of coverage all over the West about what has happened here in Ireland. You know, the Catholic land of saints and scholars. Father, tell us about your time in the United States. You lived in Baton Rouge in
1: Louisiana for many years. I did, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I spent uh, uh, over 40 years, actually, in, uh, in Louisiana. And actually got my, my uh, uh, I studied philosophy for two years uh, with the Jesuits. There was a special school of philosophy uh, here in Ireland run by the Jesuits. And so, so the bishop uh, of the of the diocese said, "Look, I'd like for you to go there." So I did, and a good grounding in in, in philosophy, you Is know, that because the, in, in the, the whole trust there. No, Is that, that the was one? actually in Limerick. Oh,
0: in Limerick, not the, the one where Limerick, Bergoglio yes. went to in Ranelagh. Yes, okay.
1: Yeah, it was it was in in, in Limerick? Yeah, and, and mm-hmm. very how would I, very stimulating, you know. The whole thrust of the instructors was if you come up with a better argument than I have, I'll drop my argument and believe in you. And, you know, a student, you know, being egotistic, you know, thinking that we could actually get the professor, the instructor, you know, uh, to, to have to admit that what he was saying, you know, didn't make sense and what we were saying didn't make sense. But it stimulated critical thinking, it stimulated discussion, it stimulated debate. And above all, it stimulated the whole idea of attacking the argument, not the person, mm. because ultimately, the person is not the argument, even though the argument may reflect the person. And so, and so I don't really know the person, you see, but I am here in the argument, and then I'm making a, taking a position. Do I agree with it or don't I? And that was very important. And so then, when I went to to study theology, uh, the 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 instructors there actually, of course, a lot of change was taking place at that time because that was in the sixties. You see, and the whole the whole Vatican II was going on, you know, and there was a lot of discussion, a lot of questions, and the the media, you know, were trying to find out what's going on and what isn't, and so on and so forth, and. Uh, and we we even had teachers, instructors, even in the seminary who said, look, I'm teaching you this today, but it might be changed tomorrow. You know, that was the kind of a mentality. But uh, uh, the other thing was that there was a big emphasis on the fact that um, that the church in America is a missionary church. And the whole idea of a missionary church is that you are reaching out to people to, to bring them in. In other words, you're going out collecting the sheep, Bring them into the fold where they will be nourished. And, of course, here we're talking about spiritual nourishment, obviously, where they will be nourished and where they will experience a real sense of community, a real sense of caring. And so there's a big emphasis on, on community. And also, throughout my um, uh, five years uh, of, of uh, theology, uh, we, we had a pastoral program every semester to give us an idea of who we might be working with or what kind of people might we be dealing with and so on by the time we got ordained. And so I remember, well, my first assignment, for example, in the, in the pastoral program, was working in an institution for handicapped people. Now I have to say this, in Ireland, while I was growing up, I never knew anyone who was considered handicapped. Because at that time in Ireland, if, if if a person was handicapped, they were kept at home. I never knew anything about it, but here was a group of people, you know, that I had that I didn't know anything about, but had a, a great sense of community among them. My next uh, my next assignment was actually working in a in a very poor area, uh, a kind of a ghetto area as well, where there was a lot of crime, a lot of drugs, and so on. So we went in there, you know, a couple of us together to work with the people so to make a long story short my training involved both the both the intellectual and the practical when it came to what church is really all about church is certainly about teaching but church is also about helping those people to understand the teaching and to make it their own so they could use it as a foundation for their lives and so that was that was a very how would i put it holistic I suppose, approach uh, to training for the priesthood. Then before ordination, we had to spend a year uh, working uh, in a parish under the guidance of a pastor who also had training in terms of guiding uh, seminarians at this stage of their development. That also was a great experience because I was assigned to a, a huge parish where there are close to 3000 families uh, and, and uh, uh So the people would be considered probably middle class here, but totally committed uh, to to the church because the church was the center of the community. And it was a great experience, actually. And then my my first experience as a priest was in the university parish, you know, where you had people who would question. I remember in my first year as a priest, I remember I was working with 10 different discussion groups, uh, various with various ages in the parish. Because Vatican II was completed and the documents had come out. So people wanted to look at the, study the documents, read them and so on and so forth. And so it was, I mean, it was a great experience. A lot of confusion as well. A lot of liturgists wanted to rid the churches of all statues and and icons and so on and so forth because they they say oh, the people must have pure faith. They don't need all these things. These are just distractions, you know. But they forgot about the fact that the the Catholic Church, you know, comes from Jesus Christ, who became man, who became visible, who gave us signs, you know, who gave us things that remind us that God is with us. So it was a fascinating time, actually, uh, to be a priest. And so that was my training and uh, it gave me an insight, I think, that I'm not sure that if I'd stayed in Ireland, I would have gotten, because Ireland was obviously a different community, different culture, uh, different history, church-wise, and so on. So my training basically was to be a missionary church. The other side of it was that we were told clearly that when you're assigned to a parish, that... Yeah, you're 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 the you're the pastor and these are the people and it's a partnership. It's like it's like a marriage in a way. In other words, you have your gifts and you represent Christ to them. But they, too, are imbued with the Holy Spirit. They, too, have their gifts, you know, and their gifts are absolutely essential as well for the growth of the church, because as the church teaches, each one of them is a stone in that building that we call church. So there was a great sense of interaction the other thing was that in the in the parishes that whenever a problem came up you know within the family or whatever it was the priest was like the first uh, uh, court of instance so to speak they would always call the priest and so in training then we had to be trained for example in pastoral counseling so that when somebody called you could make uh, an intelligent decision as to what kind of help psychological help they might need you might be able to help them yourself on the basis of your own training or you might not so then you would know who to refer them to so there was a real awareness of the of the important role of the priest in the not just the catholic community but even for the for the people outside who weren't uh catholics as well would come actually to the priest you know for for counseling and all the rest of that And non-Catholics would send their children to the Catholic school because they would be taught uh, morality and because they would be taught discipline. So it was a totally different experience to what I've seen since I've been back here in Ireland. How long
0: long have you been back, Father?
1: I've been back here in Ireland a long time. I've been now, 12 years. I think it's
0: about 12 right. years now. Right. Okay. Aren't we blessed to have you back? At this point, I'm going to bring Dr. E. Michael Jones onto the stream. I can see that he's waiting patiently. How are you there, Mike?
2: Good, Gemma. Good to see you. Hello, Father.
0: Again, How are you? YouTube Good. Good to see you, Doctor. Met. But uh, I think you'll have a lot in common. Um, Mike, have you been following the insanity of the week here? Um, Father just made, you know, brought home a few home truths. And the government have been picketing outside his former church. The Irish government surrounds church during mass in Catholic Ireland. Can you believe it? What are your views? Uh,
2: as I understand it, you preached a sermon uh Saying that sodomy was a sin or something radical like that, uh, and then there was yeah. uproar, and then the the bishop uh, didn't back you up, and now you've got the uh, government uh, no. at your at your throat uh, as well. Well, I mean, I I think that this uh, I hate to say it this way, but I think it's good news because uh, the oppressors are finally showing their hand, and what we saw as initially the velvet glove. <laughs> Uh, is now showing the iron fist. So the the velvet glove is uh, sexual liberation and the iron fist is political, ruthless political control and the ruthless suppression of any ideas that these people don't like. So I think this is good news. It's good news because now I think the Irish people can wake up to finally uh, what they're really up against. And it's not tolerance, no matter what they were told.
0: Very, very well put. Absolutely, Mike. I mean, are you that the reaction on the media has been absolutely hysterical uh, to the point that we've seen these pickets and father had the state broadcaster, as we call them, land down at his presbytery without any notice surround the house with cameras, etc. This sort of reaction is a sign of panic, right?
2: I think it is. I think that what we're seeing here, uh, over in the United States as well, and as in Ireland, is that the uh, the oligarchs, the rulers, are losing control of the narrative, and this has never happened before to them, and and they're they, they're so upset that they don't know how to argue, because they haven't argued for for such a long time, they've forgotten how to do it, so all they know how to do is ban you. And if that doesn't work, then they get hysterical and they start threatening you with with jail, with all all kinds of stuff. It's unraveling over here as well, as well. And they don't know what to do about it.
0: So we've a lot of reason to be optimistic, would you say?
2: I think so. Look, let me let me let's contextualize what's happening to Gemma right now. Uh, Thirteen years ago, I wrote a book called The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. And it was uh, controversial. I knew that. But I was immediately attacked by a group called the Southern Poverty Law Center. Uh, and I found myself thinking, well, what does this have to do with the South? What does it have to do with poverty? What does it have to do with law? And what does it have to do with the center? It's like the Holy Roman Empire. You know, Voltaire talking about the Holy Roman Empire. Well, it turns out that uh, it's a Jewish organization. They didn't like what I said, and they deal with you by trying to destroy you. Well, that was, that was me kind of all by myself now, uh, by, back then. Well, now it turns out that the lady who led that crusade against me at the Southern Poverty Law Center is now in Ireland. She's in Ireland. What, wow. what does the Southern Poverty Law Center have to do with Ireland at all? Why is Heidi Byrick in Ireland? And not only that, why is she attacking Gemma? What is going on here? This is a, a, a Jewish operation that finally delegated. The, the provinces are getting out of control. We're losing control at, at, at uh, the center here in the United States. Provinces are out of control. I know, we'll send Heidi over there and, we'll, and she'll attack Gemma and everything will be okay. Well, it's not going to work. It's not working. It's not working. And so now what's what's the big news over here? It's Kanye West uh, talking about Jewish control of the media. And then on top of that, we have this poor basketball player. I mean, he's not poor. He's a rich basketball player. But I mean, he's poor in terms of some some aspects of his life, uh, tweeted a reference to a movie that he kind of liked. And suddenly the ADL, the other Jewish thought police operation, came down on him like a ton of bricks. And they find him uh, five hundred thousand dollars. He had to grovel in front of the ADL. Even that wasn't enough. And what what they they don't understand what they're doing. I'm talking about the the Jews who run these organizations. They don't understand that they're bringing about the very opposite of what they intend. So if they intend to put an up upri- down an uprising among the blacks, they created an even bigger uprising because now they, people understand uh, one, what was one of the fundamental revolutionary operations during the 20th century in America, and that was the Black Jewish Alliance. Uh, it was the most effective revolutionary operation in America, the most effective op- operation in America the Jews ever created. The, mo- the high point of this was the Civil Rights Movement, which became a kind of sacred cause uh, among certain people here, it got exported to Ireland. Okay, uh, with a movie called The Commitments. I don't whether really you remember this movie, but it was about how the the uh, these Irish Irishmen like playing soul music, uh, and they identified with the Negroes over here, and so on and so forth. The,
0: Ar- the Irish are the blacks of Europe, you know. Yeah, that's that's, that. and that's, then a, the that's. Dubliners a, are the blacks of Ireland, and the Northsiders of Dublin are the blacks of Dublin. You have to get it right, you know, get it into your head. Like this is how we're supposed to think.
2: That's right. That's exactly exactly the identification that the, the that the, the Jews <laughs> controlled the narrative wanted. We'll spread this idea and suddenly we got all these Irishmen on our side uh, and now what did they do? The ADL turned the screw one turn too far and they stripped the screw. And now they got the exact opposite of what they intended because now they have a black uprising. All you have to do is look at the, uh, the black YouTube channels and they're all siding with Kanye and Kyra is how they pronounce his name uh, over something that was trivial. I mean, he tweeted a basketball player, tweets something about a movie that he likes. And you're saying it's Adolf Hitler. It's it's they're going to put us all in ovens now because of this. This is out. This is ridiculous. But it shows you God's God's power to control uh, human history in spite of the intentions of the wicked who think they're in charge. That's
0: right. Exactly. Was it, it? Yes, Father. What's
1: interesting to me. What's interesting to me is that you know the lack again of uh, critical thinking. You know, uh, just because. I uh, uh, disagree with you. You see, that does not mean that I'm offending you. That simply means I'm disagreeing with you. Are you disagree with me? You know why? Why disagreeing with what somebody says is framed as an offense It is, is just beyond me. You know how? How? Because you no, know, because in an argument, no offense is intended. It's just simply an argument based on the truth that. People perceive that underlies their argument. That's it. I mean, people are not setting out to offend anybody, but it's taken as an offense. And, of course, the reason that it's taken as an offense is that uh, it is not good. I mean, it's not right to offend anyone. So, therefore, then, if you are an offender, then I can justify getting rid of you or canceling you or shutting you out. And what that does then it deprives the person actually of a nugget of truth that they may actually enjoy from the person whom they're cancelling because they have taken what the person said first as an offense and then shut the person out which totally destroys dialogue it destroys an exchange of ideas it also destroys the the the, the right to express your opinion and not be uh, jailed, as you said, for it, or not be rejected for it. So so conversation is gone, discussion is gone, and as a result, it's no wonder, for example, that people are so lonely because they're afraid to talk to each other in case they might offend each other. And as a result, then, the, 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 the uh, art of conversation seems to have gone down the drain completely. And so, so in the old, like the great thing I found out like even about uh, uh, America was often at nighttime, I get calls from bars, you know, where guys and people had arguments over religion and they'd call, they'd call a priest uh, to be the adjudicator as to who was right and who was wrong, you know, and so on and so forth. So uh, it was open discussion and people, did, you know, just because you, you're Protestant and I'm Catholic, I disagree with what you say as a, as a, as a Protestant. There was no offense taken it's your perfect right to do that but the other thing that really blows my mind in this country since i've been back is that the 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 people in 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 government laud ireland as 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 a new country a new community uh so tolerant of everyone i can tell you this that i mean what i've seen this past week certainly does not reinforce that that statement that there's tolerance in this country because there isn't there's a high level of of intolerance there's also a high level of fascism authoritarianism that we will shut out and shut down the opposition completely and that to me is tragic you know because then what we will end up with are people now who don't express their true beliefs they will act they will say things as somebody said to me today would they will they will, they will uh, 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 go along to get along and that means a very dull and a very how would I put it a very uh, uh uninspired society
0: absolutely Mike what are your thoughts on all of that
2: yeah uh, if you're talking about dialogue and all those things uh, we're talking about logos we're talking about the most yes. fundamental manifestation of logos which is one human being talking to another human being. That is, we are social animals, as Aristotle said, and we are animals that have reason. So we're rational, social animals. So our essence is basically in sitting down and talking to each other. Uh, Aristotle said that if you had to work for a living, you could not be a citizen of Athens because you had to spend so much time in meetings to to discuss what the government was going to do, that you didn't have time to work. OK, uh, so this this the situation we're in now is uh, is w- way beyond that. OK, the, uh, we are see- reached a situation where uh, you can't criticize certain people like the Jews because that's automatically anti-Semitism. Well, this uh, this guy, uh, uh, this basketball player didn't criticize anybody. He just tweeted a link and that was enough to set him off. So the th- the situation is. Has to be revised now. We have to have the exact categories, the right categories, so that we know what we're talking about. And I'm saying the category here is psychological warfare. And the essence of psychological warfare is to prohibit unauthorized communication among subject peoples. So the Catholics in America are a subject people, the Irish people are a subject people, and they are not allowed to talk to each other. That is the gist of what what you just said. You can say it's out of fear uh, that you're going to offend someone, but now we're way beyond the stage of fear. Now the government is actually intervening, in your case. And we have have entities in the United States of America that are more powerful than government uh, because there are no checks and balances on them whatsoever. And I'm talking about the Anti-Defamation League, which can ruin your life, Uh, You you won't go to jail in the United States, but if you're Kanye West, you can lose two billion dollars of value over a 48 hour period. That's that's the way it it will happen over here. Uh, And that's uh, or you can have uh, Google. I just sent uh, uh, Gemma a link from an article just here about all the Israeli intelligence agents who are now working for Google. Well, these people are not neutral observers who believe in free speech. They are a group of people who feel that they have total privilege to treat you like a Palestinian. So we have two groups of people now we have Israelis and we have Palestinians, we have uh, uh, the fetus, we have the abortionists. and on one sense, you have one side, you have privilege. On the other side, you have no rights whatsoever. And Ireland needs to wake up to the fact that they have no rights other than the right to sexual deviance which is not a right at all, uh, because if you are sexual sexually deviant, lust will darken your mind and you won't know what you're doing. And you will be a, a completely docile pawn that can be moved around their chessboard uh, at will. And so now the, uh, the problem is someone who actually makes sense, who talks reasonably, and that person will now be demonized. Uh, because the truth is now construed as hate speech. That's the situation we're in, as I see it.
0: Father, and then sorry, just before you you come back in, Father Sean. This is the story that, that, that is you,
1: absolute,
0: you're talking yeah, that, about that, here.
1: That is absolutely true. You know, they, they always uh, taught us, um, you know, in the in the US, that the that the church, by its nature, is countercultural. And, and that, that it, it examines the, the values uh, proposed and promoted by the culture and makes a decision then based on the scriptures and the traditional teaching of the church as to which ones now really enhance human life and which ones do not. And if that voice goes, then there is no voice at all with, with any sense of, power and any sense of credibility to counteract what I you know what I call the the uh, atheistic voice that's been promoted you know by by uh, governments and so on and so forth and also uh, i mean I, I think myself you're saying paul says you, know, you did not receive a spirit of timidity you received a spirit of courage to get up And go out there, you know, and bring the good news uh, to the world. And that, that is your job. And, you know, Jesus himself said, if they persecuted you, they will persecute me too. And like when you look at the Acts of the Apostles, and the apostles come back and they're filled with joy because they have been arrested, because they have been jailed, because they have been vilified, and so on and so forth. They're joyful. Are they crazy? No, they're not crazy because they know that. The reason they're vilified, the reason they're jailed, and arrested and so on and so forth is because the word of God is so threatening to those who want to say that uh, the word of God has no power. If the word of God has no power, then why even get upset about the fact that, uh, that people preach it? It, it doesn't right. make any
2: sense. That's right. You know, that's right. So like, like I, I have
1: said, I think, doctor, that maybe all this is good news because. As, some, as as a doctor. Ward from England said to me day before yesterday, uh, he he said actually he said that, that they he said, go ahead I, he I said, just... actually he said actually they believe you he said, mm. but they don't want to embrace uh, what they say, what you said. and so therefore now, in order not to, in order to justify and not embrace what you said, uh, even though they believe it in their hearts they shut it down because it doesn't
2: suit their agenda that's right
0: exactly that's exactly. right my god yeah. I, I
2: had i had a, a remarkable experience this week uh early in the week this past week
1: the other thing also i think is that um is that you know i saw it during the whole COVID thing that fear
0: I think I think father has a problem with his he's in a remote part of the country, Mike. So I think there's a delay probably in his. OK, uh, okay. so I think you you work away there. Can't hear Mike. you. OK, Mike, you, you continue. Sorry, your point. OK,
2: so I had this uh, remarkable experience earlier this week. Uh, a group of Israelis organized a <laughs> podcast. So here here I am. The, the, the one of the top 10 anti semites in the world <laughs> okay according to the ADL and i've got a group of israelis who want to talk to me and they want to talk to me about the book that i've written called the jewish revolutionary spirit mm-hmm. now th- this was a remarkable a remarkable experience but it points out exactly what the oligarchs are twi- trying to to thwart so if, if you have, uh, I gave an honest appraisal of my understanding of uh, the Jewish influence on history, the pernicious Jewish influence on history, and the Israelis agreed with it. And they wanted to talk to me about that. That was an extraordinary experience that I had. It's the type of conversation that we are not supposed to have. Uh, this is a conversation that we, it's the type of uh, thought control that we we have to ban. But to get back to what you said about the the Acts of the Apostles. So one of them's asking me, well what, what should we do? And I said, well, what am I supposed to say? I can't say anything other than what St Peter said. When Saint Peter uh, after uh, the Pentecost, okay he's filled with zeal for the holy with the Holy Spirit and he marches back into Jerusalem and the first thing out of his mouth is, you killed Christ. Well, that's a good opening line. Uh, that will get you kicked out of Catholic-Jewish dialogue, but uh, this was his version of Catholic-Jewish dialogue, and it worked. And the first thing the Jews said was, it, it, the, "The Acts of the Apostles says they were cut to the heart." <laughs> At that point, the Jews said, "Well, what must we do to be saved?" And and Peter said, "You have to be baptized." That's a very simple message. Now, I I think that's precisely. Uh, What I did, I I didn't tell, I didn't start off by saying the, the Jews killed Christ. I said to the Jews, you gave us abortion. You gave us pornography. You gave us gay marriage. You gave us endless wars in the Middle East. And that's the truth. And because it's the truth, they were cut to the heart. If I hadn't said that, they'd have no reason to talk to me. And I'm saying this is precisely the problem that we're facing right now because the church, the Catholic church is missing in action. And not only are they missing in action, they are acting as commissars for Jewish interest. I'll give you an example of the, the, the horrendous lack of unity that we now have in the, in the Catholic church. Uh, I can generalize this. Anytime some Catholic goes to his pastor and says to him, I think we should have E. Michael Jones come and give a speech. I guarantee you, the first thing that that pastor will do will be to Google my name. Go to Google. They're an impartial observer. And the first thing that will come up on the Google search engine, because of those, those Israelis that I'd already talked to you about, because the Israelis are running Google right now, will be the ADLs attack on me, uh, assassinating my character. Now, this means every Catholic, I'm saying virtually every Catholic is like this. They believe that uh, they have to consult the ADL to find out if I'm a Catholic in good standing. Now, this is prohibiting the very dialogue that I just had with those Israelis. I can talk to Israelis before I can talk to Catholics, fellow Catholics. And this isn't just the United States. This is what happened in, I was in uh, Nairobi. You know, it's not a place where you think of Jewish influence, okay? Uh, the guy calls, faculty member at the un- Strathmore University, calls up. We like got Joan. He spoke here 10 years ago. First thing she does is Google me, and it's uh, the ADL, and so I don't get to speak. This has got to stop. This has got to stop. The first step that we have to make is achieving some type of Catholic unity, so that we can start talking about things that need to be talked about and then start rolling back uh, the conquest of, of our cultures.
0: Absolutely. I think Sean, Father Sean, is dropping in and out. So uh, his his connection is weak. But, Mike, I really do feel they're running for cover at this stage. At least, you know, they must know that the game is up because they've silenced too many people And, you know, people are realizing they've been lied to about the lockdowns, the COVID hoax, the vaccine, and they're getting angrier and angrier. And they're looking to see, well, hang on, all these people that were called conspiracy theorists, is there a possibility that they were right? I don't know if you heard, Mike, but um, David Icke has been banned from the EU. He was going over to give a talk over the last few days in the Netherlands. And uh, he was basically en route. He was heading to get the ferry. And an, an order was issued from Brussels that he is now banned from traveling to every single country in the EU. This is unprecedented. And this man doesn't even go where you and I would go. At all. He's not coming from a Christian perspective. I would say he's an atheist, but he does talk about the Kazarian Mafia. Um, But this is how terrified they are of him, that they've banned him from whatever, 28 countries.
2: Yeah, it's the space lizards
0: it's they don't well they don't like that aspect you you know
2: the space lizards are very powerful in our culture i remember david Icke saying that it was the space lizards that were responsible for this
0: I I I I i think david is probably a little bit misquoted on that you know i mean the reptilian angle once you Dig a little bit into it, it becomes a bit clearer as to what he's talking about. Yes. And the, very, the very unusual bloodlines of the Protestant monarchies, the interbreeding that goes on. And I'm probably misquoting him, but, um, you know, or, or maybe, maybe this is some sort of a setup. I mean, I, you know, the Alex Jones thing, him being fined billions.
2: No, no, wait a minute. It's a trillion. We're up to a trillion sorry, now. I,
0: yeah. I, I we're, thought we're it was. Yes. Yes. We're totally talking
2: real totally. money now. It's a trillion dollars. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That well, was a Jew.
2: That was a Jewish judge, by the way, that handed down that. Not naturally. that that means anything. Uh, a woman Jewish judge. Uh, but that. Hey, we're not allowed to talk about that. But he, this is an example, exactly, exactly, of what's going on here, where the judge goes after this guy for something that was basically okay. He was wrong. It's not a crime to be wrong when you're a journalist. But now it is if someone feels offended. OK, within, uh, uh, I think, days, OK, Kanye comes out and talks about uh, George Floyd, item fentanyl overdose. Now, there were plenty of people who were saying that it got completely suppressed from the trial. Uh, you're allowed, I think, to say that George, uh, you know, I think that's legitimate speech. It's not crying fire in a crowded theater. The day after that, George Floyd's mother sued Kanye for a quarter of a million dollars. Now you can't tell me that those two things aren't related. This is now the weaponization of the legal system in the United States to basically get around the fact that we have a first amendment and you have rights under the first amendment. This means that if someone is offended, someone is hurt, if someone is upset by what you say, uh, they can ruin you financially. Well, that's the same, you're achieving the same thing uh, just by a
0: different means. That's a, It's a fear tactic. It's a fear ta like, that's all it is. It's sending out a message to other people. Don't go there because you will lose everything. And, you know, John Waters and I did a stream the other night and the next morning first, I mean, obviously we were very, very critical and outspoken as we always are of the establishment next morning. First thing we get a reminder that we owe the state 20,000 for, um failing in our attempt to get a judicial review which is our constitutional right to challenge the lockdowns and we're not going to be paying that and um you know it's 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 so obvious it's so obvious that this is about the attempt to try and financially destroy people they've destroyed their characters they've defamed them left right and center they've called them all sorts of names They've tried to silence them. That hasn't worked. So the next thing is lawfare, the form of warfare that they use to try and financially destroy you. But it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. No, no. The great
2: achievement of the 20th century in this regard was social engineering. And the whole secret of social engineering was that you didn't know that it was working. You didn't know that it existed. And if you said something like this, you were like the crazy guy in uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, you know, like, no, and there's something out, it's pod people, it's, uh, no, he's crazy. That's exactly the attitude that they had toward this in the 1950s, they even made a movie about it, okay? But the the gist of the, the the real genius, the real evil genius of this would be with the promotion of sexual liberation. Because at this point, you don't know you're being controlled. I mean, I was the first guy to write this book that said sexual liberation is a form of political control. Nobody, nobody was writing about that. That was 25 years ago that I wrote that. And suddenly you go back and you start reading Aldous Huxley, who was a very influential figure in the British establishment. And you read Brave New World. and Hey, it's there, too. You know, it's it, it, it's making people uh, docile and happy. By distracting them from the real forms of control, not happiness
0: it's really misery that they live in, like men, for example, who are promiscuous end up with two or three mortgages, their lives are miserable, they realize you know why did they trade in the first wife? you know it wasn't she wasn't that bad really, but now they're completely bankrupt, and they've all these children from different women, and their lives are a wreck, and there's many men like that in Ireland. And they regret, I'd say they regret the day that divorce was brought in here. And um, the same with, you know, women who decide to murder their unborn children. They they will live with that regret for the rest of their lives. The same with young teenagers who are sleeping around and you know, and people in their twenties and thirties, and you know, wonder why they can't find real happiness because they're behaving like sluts and because they're going against what nature intended and and having the stability of family life and the support and the friendship of a of a spouse who loves them for what they are, not how they look. So is it any wonder that people are so miserable as a result of so-called sexual liberation?
2: Right. So we're in a different phase now. Experience keeps an expensive school but fools will learn in no other. So we could have learned this simply by paying attention to the teaching of the Catholic church and things like that. But no, we we had to learn the hard way in the expensive school of experience, but better late than never. If, If that's what it takes, I mean, what, what is the purpose of suffering? Purpose of suffering is to bring you closer to God. God is logos is God. So when you know you're getting closer to God, when you start to understand what's going on, because Logos is God and Logos means your understanding. Logos is your nature. And so if the suffering leads you to a better understanding of how you got uh, cheated, how you got uh, deceived uh, by the devil's empty promises, that's good. That's the cunning of reason. That's God at work in human history.
0: The cunning of reason. Father, we have you back have you been able to hear
1: yes i have yes yeah very good absolutely absolutely very good and uh, I, I mean it's 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 like you know you know the old saying you know you, you can fool half the people half the time but you can't fool all the people all the time and i think that's beginning to emerge actually in america uh, at the very moment you know um in, in these uh, this election that's going to take place uh, this coming this tuesday uh between the the uh in the Amer- among the American people uh, I mean all the stuff all the 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 leftist um uh s- sexual liberation uh that has been put forth in the last couple of years you know by the Biden administration c- come to find out they totally misread the people they thought the people want, oh, they want abortion, you know, they they, they, they want uh, liberal sexual uh, uh, environments and whatnot. They're finding out that that's not what the people want at all. You know, the the, pe- the people want to live family lives. They want to have a decent job. They want to have security. They want to raise their children properly. They don't want drag queens telling stories to little children and using all kinds of of uh sexual expressions and so on and so forth they don't want that because the law of god as i said earlier is written in everybody's heart people know uh, i mean what is right and what is wrong from a natural standpoint and they also know too uh when they are doing wrong but the, sa- the fact is you see that if there's no focus on the soul then what's left the body so the body then becomes everything And so we're gonna satisfy the body in every way, shape or form, even to the point of trying to change his gender. And I mean, that's why I said, you know, when I was talking to the people, I said, this is a form of lunacy. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. Now at the moment, actually, I think there's a case in America of a girl who was 13 or 14 who went through this so-called transgender surgery, and now they're filing a suit, I mean, a case against uh, the the particular uh, doctor, hospital, whatever it is. And like when we think about the future, I think as a result of all this, there's going to be more suicides. There's going to be more depression. I mean, it was it was it last year or the year before there was a study done in Europe about depression, Ireland. Was number one when it came to the incidence of depression among young women from 14 to 25. I was thinking 14 to 25. I mean, gracious me, you should be full of life, full of full of adventure and whatnot. Depression? I mean, I was trying to think back to my own days when I was 14, 20. I mean, depression wasn't even wasn't even a reality. And I said, why? And I thought to myself, you know. As, as, as Shakespeare said in Hamlet, there's something rotten in the, in, the, in the state of Denmark. There's something rotten in the state of Ireland. And when something is rotten, you know, then you try to get rid of it. You, 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 you clean it out. You, in, because if you don't, it won't heal. And if the present situation in Ireland, which I think is rotten, is not uh, emptied, cleaned out, it won't heal and everybody will suffer. But I think that there will, there will be a reaction. There's always been a reaction. I used to ch- teach church history for a number of years. And the people were amazed sometimes at the things that happened, you know, at various stages of the church. I said, but you know what's interesting? The church kept going, regardless of regimes, regardless of scandals, regardless of poor leadership, you know, regardless of people who tried to change the church to suit their agenda. You know, I said to a, a guy, you know, uh, in one of those uh, interviews, I said, why do you think Jesus was nailed to the cross? Three times I had to ask him the question. He wouldn't answer. Finally, he did. And he said, I guess his agenda was different to the others. I said, you've got it. I said, the church's agenda, I said, doesn't suit that of the others. And that's why there is such a, a, an effort put in politically and otherwise to shut the church down uh, to get rid of the church. Because it's it, because it's based, if it's truly preached, it's based on God who is truth and, and, and who knows no lie. And uh, as a result, the people are going to be challenged to face their own lies. I was w- listening to a part uh, of uh, Fox News the other night, and there's a woman on there by the name of Laura Ingram uh, who was banned actually from Fox some time ago because she said this whole um, COVID fiasco she said was ridiculous and of course she went against the 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 government she went against Fauci and all the rest of those people well guess what's happening now now it's all coming out that all this 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 masking and social distancing and jabbing and so on and so forth didn't do a thing to to actually cope with this virus which they actually framed as a deadly disease it was not a disease it was a virus I mean, they all laughed at Trump, you know, uh, and that because he called it the Wu flu, because it started in, in Wuhan. And, you know, they said, oh, you're trivializing, you know, the deadliness of this and so on and so forth. So, you know, as Judge Judy often says, you know, I don't know if you ever watched her show. She says, if you tell a lie, she says. You you have to keep making more telling more lies, you know, in order to justify it. Because when you tell a lie, you have to make it up as you go. But when you tell the truth, you never need to change it. And it will always be the same. And I think that's what's happening now. And I I do hope and I pray that there will be a reaction in Ireland. And actually, from some of the emails that I got from young people, young people actually are beginning to think and they are beginning to see true. The, the what I call the, the, the fascist facade, even though they don't see themselves as fascist, but the authoritarianism and the lack of free speech dividing people of gifts that God has given them, people will will eventually have to rise up and say, enough, you know, is enough. And I and I'm hoping that the the leadership in the church, you know, will realize their their responsibility before god to properly evangelize and catechize the people so they would be able to see how valuable how essential as you said doctor the logos is how valuable and how essential jesus christ is because he epitomizes humanity i remember seeing in america a bumper sticker and it said you know a real man loves jesus christ you know Because Jesus epitomized what it means to be fully masculine or fully feminine, as the case may be. And so eliminating Jesus Christ and his teaching. One of them said to me, he said, I'm a fan of Jesus Christ. I said, I hate to tell you, it's not enough to be a fan. You better be an intentional disciple, because otherwise he will not recognize you. He said himself, you know, those who say, Lord, Lord, he said, you know, that we ate in your streets, we saw you, you know, we told you hello, you will not be recognized at all. And I mean, yet yeah, the gospel is tough. Yeah, the gospel is tough and change is tough. But if it's for the better, then our reason should tell us, tell us we ought to embrace this. And if well, we if- do, <laughs> mm-hmm. then people will realize that what they have embraced is something they have yearned for all their lives. And it's like the country in Western Psalm says they were looking for love in all the wrong places. And so they were disappointed and disappointed. Now they found real love, unconditional love, love that does not abandon them. To me, that's what the church contributes is that knowledge and that experience. And I I hope that people will realize this and maybe they are, I hope.
0: I think so, Father, because, you know, the, the media is in such panic because they know that the Irish are ethnically Catholic. Catholic. We are, you know, that's what it means to be Irish. It, you yeah. can't separate yeah. the two. It's yeah. in our DNA. And our priest, <laughs> a, a very young priest with a very, very devout vocation was talking about the struggle of our ancestors mm-hmm. who were willing to suffer, to starve, to die, to travel hundreds of miles to get mass if necessary, and what they went through for the yeah. faith, and that, you know, we must never forget this as Irish people, right. that we all have ancestors who suffered right. under the penal laws during the famine, who were abused and accused and threatened and murdered because of the Catholic faith and their refusal to let go of it. So we, as a people, you know, yes. more than any other people in the world, should yes. identify with our catholic past realize oh, yes. its value yeah. and yes. uh we will turn i think the irish will turn back to god like that i think i think so to too Past, because they know they just need to hear it from people like you and from from mike and you know hopefully other priests now will find the courage to speak out as well
1: i often think of the curry of ours, you know who, when he went to the parish and he started talking to the people about sin, his fellow priest said, you will ruin the parish. You will drive them all away, he said. And guess what? It doubled, trebled, quadrupled. He spent hours in the confessional, much to the chagrin of his fellow priests who were doomsayers. Because I think that's the, that's the one thing. A government or any NGO, or any educational institution, or any person can provide people with, and that is the forgiveness of sin. And ultimately, if we faced our sin, then we would definitely make the world a better place. But when we cover mm-hmm. up our sin, as the doctor said, then we, are, we put ourselves in a dark place. And what happens when we're in a dark place? We just, we just stumble around. You know bumping into one another bumping into the walls and as a result we will end up injured ourselves and injuring everybody else and no one will benefit from that kind of an environment the freer the 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 environment the freer the people are to express themselves then the greater the debate and the more the truth will emerge eliminate the freedom of speech And the truth is muzzled. And people are deprived. Then people are imprisoned in their own addictions, in their own false beliefs, and so on and so forth. Because only the truth, as you said yourselves, free us. And that's what the church, that's the great power the church has, is to preach the truth, who is Jesus himself. Not just some abstract concept, but actually a person who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so if we want to to find the way to really be fully human, if we want uh, the the truth to to set us free and to be a foundation for our lives, and if we want the life that is full of of charity, full of hope, full of faith, then Jesus Christ is definitely the answer. Get rid of him. What are we left with? We're left with nothing. And I think that's really tragic. And I especially worry about children and young people in terms of the institutions that are that are developing their minds and what they're filling their minds with because what they're filling their minds with is actually going to lead them to more confusion and as i said earlier given the suicide rate in this country you know because you know what happens, you see, when young people feel confused and whatnot, they can't stand it. And so if suicide is so prevalent, then the easiest thing to do is if things aren't going right, then I will put an end to it by killing myself, which, of course, is not the answer at all. And it's see, also sin. It is. And also it's, it's a total disrespect for life. Yeah. And that's what abortion promotes, disrespect for life. I mean, I was amazed, for example, and I think it was horrible all those people who were killed, you know, when that gas uh, station blew up there uh, a couple of weeks ago. That was awful, you know. But I thought there's this big outpour, like Mihal Martin said, we're in the whole country's in mourning. And I'm thinking about what about the thousands of little babies who are killed mm-hmm. in abortion mills and there's not a word about it? The country well, is they're just
0: clusters of cells, father. Didn't you know? Clusters yes. of
1: cells. Yes, and the country is deprived of so much intellectual wealth and the gifts that God has given these these children. I've always believed that every baby is a sign of God's hope for the world, and every baby that's killed is a sign of despair for the world.
0: Absolutely. Michael, will you finish off there? And um, because I want to let you two gentlemen get back to your Sundays.
2: Yeah, I, I was... Uh, struck by what you said about the how easy it could be for the irish because uh, because they know what they need to do and and the institutions are there waiting to receive them the church is there waiting to receive them uh they've already been baptized they're, they've had ancestors who have fought for the faith uh for generations back so they know they know where they are they're being deprived it's it's identity theft that's what's happening right now yeah. in yeah. ireland it's identity theft uh, perpetrated by institutions like Google and all the people we've been talking about uh, uh, up to this point. I have been in contact with people in Iran and um, trying to, you know, I've, I've been asked to come over there to talk to them about the hijab crisis. It's not as simple there. It's not as simple. They're, 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 they're confronted with two equally repugnant alternatives and they can't find the middle. If they could, they would have found it because they're a lot older than my, than my, my, my uh, people. They've got a civilization that is 2,500 years old, and now uh, they are going out of existence because they are not reproducing, and they're not reproducing because they don't feel that there's a future for them, and they don't feel that there's a future because all they can see are two repugnant, two equally repugnant alternatives on the horizon. And one of them is CIA feminism, uh, which is trying to overthrow their government at this point. So we take we take for granted the patrimony that we don't make use of. We take for granted. And you forever have in Catholic countries some type of secular equivalent of going to heaven or some type of secular equivalent of Christianity. And uh, the Germans are even better at it than the Irish. Uh, they have this lady, Frau Beerbach who is playing on the Christian people of Germany, asking them to sacrifice. Uh, don't uh, don't get upset about the fact that you don't have heat, that you're uh, you don't have a job uh, because uh, we need to sacrifice for the greater good, which is what
0: uh, Amer-
2: American imperialism. Well, uh, yeah. we're, we're, we're yeah. hoping for uh, we're, we're supporting the people who blew up our pipeline. This is absolutely crazy. We need we need to get back to the thing that created us in the first place, the thing that separated us from the rest of the people in the world. And that was Christianity when it came to our barbarian ancestors, whether they be Irish or German or both, in my instance.
0: No truer words, no truer words. Absolutely. Well, Father, do you want to say anything before we go? I just, I just want to
1: say the other day that somebody said said, he said, Do you do you know he said uh what the letters in the word ego means? I said, No, he said, edge God out.
0: Yeah. Now you have it. That's it. That's it. But they will learn in the fullness of time. We're not going to yes. ram it down their throats like Joe Duffy is trying to do, and um, you know, they they're. It's all going to backfire. And uh, I do feel that the return to God in Ireland, in particular, is it's uh, happening, and the people will, you know, they will just turn back. They will turn back, and they will I, see I, the I just their ways
2: i just like to say, if it happens, you will be the catalyst, Gemma. And the reason I'm saying that is because they've identified you. So they know that you're making a difference. That's why they're threatening you. This exact. So take consolation, rejoice and be glad. Be glad.
0: I'd love
2: Because you you only get flack when you're over the target. That's why you're getting flack.
0: Yeah. Same with, with Father Sean and obviously yourself, Mike. Yeah. I mean, we know that. And. It's great if when we're not getting flack, well, we're not doing our job. Father, the other
1: day, the other day I was by myself and I was thinking about all this stuff. And I said, look, Lord, you know, I said, why me? And it it seemed like I heard a voice and said, why not you? I said, thank (laughs) you very much.
0: (laughs) Short and sweet and to the point. Yes,
1: yes, yes.
0: Well, Father, I know that you continue to say mass every day in your do, right. house, and, and um, i certainly
1: keep uh, both of you in my in my daily prayers as well.
0: Well, thank you, thank you, I and I, I'm sure there's I a lot of people, again. a lot in Kerry, who would love to, you know, to be able to attend your mass. So something might be be done, possibly somebody might find a hall or a a barn or somewhere for you to say mass publicly. But anyway, your courage is it's just going to be a lightning rod, I think, for many other priests in the coming months ahead. Mike, thank you very much again. Your new book, The Dangers of Beauty, which is phenomenal, along with all of your other books describing how we have fallen into this mess that we're in in the West, are available on fidelitypress.org and culturewars.com. I encourage people. There's still plenty of time before the season of Christmas to uh, get your books posted. And I would really encourage there's no other writer at this moment who can explain what has happened to our world than E. Michael Jones. Mike, sorry, you were going to say something there.
2: Just thank you. Thank you for all you're doing. Fortune favors the bold.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Well, we keep going for as long as we can. And, uh, you know, the truth always wins out in the end. So thank you to our audience. You're both getting huge praise and we've a very large audience watching tonight. So thank you all for joining us. And I'll be back again tomorrow evening. But for now, Father Sean, Michael Jones, thank you very much again for joining me. Good night, everyone.
1: The Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit descend on you and remain with you forever. Amen. God bless you.
0: Amen. Thank you. God bless. Take care. Thank
1: you.